Um, you know, and as we come into Corinthians, um, you know, we've been dealing in the beginning of Corinthians with the first four chapters with division, right? And we talked about that. They were choosing their favorite pastor. They're choosing their favorite apostle. And the apostle Paul's like, no, you are God's church. You are God's temple. You are to you are be reminded that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that we are unified. Not when we go after a man, we become unified when we get our hearts centered on Jesus Christ and we build our lives based upon who he is and what he's done. So he's the one who what unifies us. When we chase after others, when we allow our hearts to be given to others, we're not being loyal to Christ, number one, and it's going to lead to division. So his remedy was this, grow up, be mature, let your faith grow, let it become deeper in Christ, don't hold on to the past, don't be fearful of the future, be in the present, and being radically dependent upon who Jesus Christ is. And then, again, the church could deal with whatever the world throws at them. Because what we're going to see today, because of the division in the church, they were unable to deal with this guy's gross sin. They were, because they were divided. They were on these different parties, and they couldn't unify on how to deal with this guy's gross sin if he has his dad's wife, his stepmother. And it's like so obvious to us, isn't it? But to them, obviously it wasn't. So much so that the Apostle Paul takes a whole chapter to deal with, with how we are to deal with sin. So it's a two-way thing here. One is to deal with the sinner, this man, but it's also to deal with the sin that we allow into our lives. Bad doctrine. That's what he's going to talk about in that end. So as we look here again, um, Paul, Paul, we're dealing, he dealt with the unity of the church, God's work. We are God's work. We are God's temple. We are called to be filled with God's spirit. And now he's going to deal with this gross immorality. So let's pick it up in verse one. It says, it's actually reported that there is a sexual morality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if, and if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So this guy, I want you to understand this. This, this young guy is living in blatant sin. He's unrepentant. Um, he, he's just going to do what he wants. It's in your face. He's bringing her to church. And the churches, and this guy, that means what? This guy has come to the Lord's table. This guy has been baptized and he is recognized as a member of the church. I want you to see that because I want us to understand that what we're being taught here is how to deal with sin when it's among us. And this sin, this guy's just unrepentant. He is. He's, he's just not going to change. And so he, Paul's saying what? Remove him. But notice the context. Look at verse five again. What's the point of him being excommunicated? What's the point of him being removed? I want you to see this, that he might be saved. So have that heart. We, that wants us to start there. We're starting with the right heart. Because so often, I, I think we have two, two ways of dealing with sin in the church. One, one is to ignore it. One is to act like it's not there. Um, let's just, let's just pretend that everything's okay. And, and if I keep my head in the sand long enough, it's just going to go away. And are we hide behind? Hey, it's okay. Man, we, 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 we love. 
We, we love people. And, um, you know, and it doesn't matter. He's coming to church. And Paul's going, oh, no, it does matter. It definitely matters. Or, and this has been more my experience, we take someone who is in sin and we condemn them. We put them on display and we tar and feather them and we, we run them out of the church. And that is worse to me because that is not the heart of Christ either. So we have these two polar opposites and we got to be in the middle. We're going to see how that's going to work right now. But let's go and look at it again. So the sexual morality is in the church and Paul and, and writes here, it's not even tolerated among the pagans. I want you to understand something. The Romans had a law against this. The Romans, the Romans. I don't know if they've ever written a book on morality, right? I mean, that's how bad it was that the Romans had a law against this behavior. And what's the church's reaction? Look what again, they're what? They're proud of it. They're arrogant, Paul says. And it means they're like puffed up. Like they have this puffed up chat. If you watched any college football yesterday, every time someone scored a touchdown, it was like, yeah, yeah. And they're like getting in the guy's face. And I'm going, what happened to sportsmanship? I don't know. But these guys are acting like that. Like they're boasting in it instead of, and how should they react? Here's the middle ground, you guys. Ought you, ought you not rather to mourn? So Paul, Paul's saying there, you're acting proud, you're acting arrogant, and I want you to understand this. They're proud of it because they believe, okay, it's called Gnosticism, and Gnosticism has a wide spectrum of belief. You can read about it, you can Wikipedia, and you'll find all these different schools of Gnosticism, but basically it was this. They didn't believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. But this Gnosticism, I want you to see something. They were saying this, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He only came in the spirit. So what we do in the body doesn't matter. And we might call it antinomianism. That means what? Keep on sinning because God's going to forgive you. You just keep on doing what you want because God's going to forgive you. Oh, grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And Paul is saying, no, no. What you do with your body matters. What you think about God matters. How you live your life matters. And so you are going to have to deal with this sin because it's so blatant, it's so in our face, and it cannot be tolerated in the church. And so Paul is saying, as we confront it, though, we should be mourning over it because the idea of this weeping here, it's like a funeral has happened. And I've shared with you guys before, a lot of my brothers, a lot of my brothers in arms that were on the mission field with me for years don't even walk with God anymore. And it breaks me up, man. Because honestly, I, I, would, I, I used to think this way. If you get my buddies and you put us all in line and you were to bet on who's not going to be following God in 15, 20 years, I would have bet against myself. Because these guys, these guys, man, they love the word. We pray together. We preach on the streets together. We'd go all over hungry preaching and sharing the gospel. And to see them walk away from the Lord, it just breaks my heart. And the goal, I, I feel this way, when we see a brother who's unrepentant, right? When we see a sister who's unrepentant, I'm emphasizing unrepentant, it should break us. But so often what we usually do, okay, what we usually do is how do we respond? How do we respond when somebody sins? Somebody sins. So we already know Paul is saying this, if I was there, this guy would already be gone, I don't even need to be there with you. You know my teaching. You know my way. He needs to be removed. He needs to be removed. He needs to be dealt with. And, I, and again, I want you to look at in this context. He says, hand him over to Satan. What does that mean? Does that mean we're like going to give him like to Dante's Inferno, right? What level is he going to be at being tortured for all eternity? No. The idea here, I look at it this way. It's the prodigal son. Go back into the world, man. 
Go and try and enjoy all the, go and return to the vomit. And for a season, you might even enjoy it. But sooner or later, that good time, that party is going to end and you're going to have to bear the consequences of your decision. You are outside of God's grace. You're not partaking of communion. You've left the fellowship of the saints. There's no, in the world, think about this, you guys. If you were ever a, a, a reveler, let's call you a reveler in the world. Did anybody really love you out there? When I sobered up, all my friends didn't want nothing to do with me. I was like, hey, my cousin, he sobered up. And I say, hey, man, do you see your cousins anymore? He goes, no. I said, why not? He goes, because I didn't bring beer anymore. And they would ignore me. If I didn't bring a 12 pack, they would ignore me. I said, come on, Joey. He goes, Ramon, I'm serious. I don't even hang out with them anymore. I wasn't getting drunk with them anymore. And so I want, I want us to see something. When, you, when, when we're handing someone over, they're leaving, they're leaving the community of Christ and they're going back into the world under the power and influence of the enemy and they're going to suffer the consequences of their actions. That's what he's saying. You know, I was talking to a sister first service. She, she, they, her and her husband were leaving. She came back up and she goes, I was that man. She goes, I left my family and I went into the world and my brothers and sisters in the church came to me and said, you need to repent. And she goes, no, I'm enjoying myself too much. And she goes, and I left for a year and then I came to a funeral and I heard the worship music and I came back. She goes, but I was in the world getting worse and worse and worse. And she got hungry and thirsty again for Christ. So here's the question. How do we respond to a sinning sister or brother? Usually this is what happens to us. We get disappointed with them. We are angered by what they do. We judge them and we condemn them. That's what the church usually does. And here's the thing. We are so shocked. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe he did that. Oh, I can't believe she did that. And I'm thinking, so if I was to take your life and put it on the TV, would we be shocked by what you do? Would we? Yeah, we would. <laughs> right? But in, in this case, and I want you to see something. Because far off too often, the church, instead of weeping and mourning and praying for the person to repent, praying for the person to come back, we just go and we get the woman caught in adultery and we throw her at the feet of Jesus. And when he says, ye without sin cast the first stone, the church is usually the first one to begin to throw stones at the person. We gossip about them. We tell all our friends what they did and how we're so ashamed. And that is not Jesus. Jesus, the righteous one, the holy one of Israel, the lion of the tribe of Judah, what does he do with the woman caught in adultery? He says, neither do I condemn you, but he does this too. He sets her free. From what? Sin. Go and see, this is not who you are. Go and sin no more. Oh, but the holiness of the church, the holiness of the church is Jesus Christ. Praise God, it's not you. And it's not me, but people get this attitude. Like, oh, I got to protect the church. I hope not. We're in deep trouble, man. Our holiness is in the person and work of Jesus Christ and that alone. And unless you forget what God saved you from when someone else falls into sin, again, most of the time what I've seen in my experience of 30 years of walking with the Lord, 20 plus years being in ministry, when people are confronted, they repent. And that's, I want us to see something. So what do we do? We do Matthew 18, you guys. We do Matthew 18. We don't go to the prayer meeting and begin to say, hey, man, did you hear what Armando did? Armando did this. Oh, man, he was so drunk and he was acting like a fool. We need to pray for him. Oh, but did you know? Did you know? That's what we usually do, right? 
But what we're supposed to do is Matthew 18. I'm going to read it to you. This is what Jesus said. Remember him? He was a pretty wise guy. He said this, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Did you hear that? You and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's step one. Step two. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, step three, go tell the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him become a Gentile and tax collector. That's what's happening right here in in Corinthians 5, right? He's a tax collector. He's a Gentile. Get him out of your midst. So the first step is what? You go to him and you, and I want you to do it this way. You go in prayer, you go in love, and you go in humility, and you go to win him. You go to win him. And you want to see him, you want to show him how much you love him or her and how much you care for them and how much you miss them and how much you long for them to come back to Christ so that they might be restored. I'm telling you right now, man, when I was 18 and a half, 19, and Rod Collins found me in that stinking stop and go, and he had been after me for weeks, calling me, calling me. I just kept blowing him off, blowing him off. And he confronts me and he's like, let's talk. I'm like, no, I don't want to talk. He's like, Let you, let's talk. I'm like, I don't want to talk. I knew I was doing bad. I was miserable. I was blacking out drunk. I was not just doing drugs. I was beginning to sell drugs. I never did that before. And he comes and he goes, you owe me 15 minutes in my house. And I was like, yeah, I guess I owe you that much. And I was bawling my eyes out on his front lawn repenting. But he came to me in love. And he said, man, I miss you. What's going on, man? <laughs> I made all these mistakes. He's like, you're coming back to church with me. But this is what happened, though. So I started going back. But I still had one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I still I would go party on Saturday and go to church on Sunday. I'd party on Monday night and go to church on Wednesday. He called me on a Friday. He goes, hey, Armando, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh-oh. Uh, I'm just watching the Laker game. And I was. But I was going to go out to a party afterwards. And he goes, what are you doing later? I'm like, I don't know yet. What's up? What's up? You know, let's change the subject. And he goes, hey, man, uh, one of the elders from the church called me today. And God, he's praying for you. And God showed him that you're still living in the world. And he goes, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to love you no matter what you choose. But God has a call in your life. You know you're called. You know you're called to the ministry. But I'm going to tell you right now, today's the day you got to choose right now. And whatever you choose, I'm always going to love you. What are you going to choose? I'm like, I'm in. I'm all in, man. If God's like phone calling me now, I better listen, right? I'm like, God's, if he's getting in the way of me and my Laker game, I better listen to him. And I repented, man. And this Saturday, when I was with Rod up at this camp with him, he looked at me. And I've known Rod since I was 15. So I've known him for almost 40 years now. He looked at me and goes, one of the greatest joys of my life is watching how God, if you've allowed God to use you. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. And I'm like, you're going to make me cry, you know? But, but here again, so when we do this, you guys, we go with a heart of brokenness. We've been praying for our brother or sister. We're praying for them to repent. We go one-on-one, mano-a-mano, and we tell them, we love you, man. We love you. You got to come back. Give your life back to the Lord. If that, if he does not repent, then I take two other people with me that love him more than I do, that are praying for him more than I am. And we go to that brother or sister and we say, man, we love you. We love you. Could you imagine if that happened to you? 
I mean, if someone came to you, three people that love you, and they're looking at you going, brother, sister, man, we, we know you're not doing right. We know you're not living right, but God wants to forgive you. Come back. I'm telling you right now, this church would be different. The church would be so different. But so often, we're the ones throwing stones at people, talking behind their back, judging them, condemning them. And God's, I was meditating on this as I was driving into work today, driving into church. And, and I was thinking about some people I've judged. Guilty as charged. And God said, Armando, could you imagine if I judged you the way you judged them? And I was like, oh, like no way. Or if I gave you the same grace you gave others, would you like that? I'm like, heck no. You give me all the grace you have, Lord. I want that eternal grace that never runs dry. Then why don't you give it to others? Why are you so stingy? What makes you so right? Think about it, you guys. We want to win people. And then at the last resort, we go to the, the elders of the church and we say, Armando's just unrepentant. I remember I was at a church where this, this guy is divorcing his wife. His wife wants to reconcile. He doesn't want to. He brings his girlfriend to church. His wife's already inside. And praise God, this is a big church I was at. One of the pastors saw him. So two of the pastors went to him. They said to the girl, you're, you're welcome to come in. You're not, because you're in sin. And you're not going to come back until you repent. You can't judge me. Who you think you're better than me? I'm like, no, but you know you're wrong and you need to go. And I was like, wow. They did it in love. But again, we don't play with sin. When it's in the body of Christ, we win them back, but it's not by ignoring it. We go and we want to reconcile with them. We go and we tell people, you got a cancer, but we can get it out of you. And we want that cancer out of you that you might live. That you might live. And notice what the heart of God is about this. Luke 15, verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. That day on that front lawn with Rod, heaven was going, Armando repented. He did? Yeah, it's crazy. It's a miracle. He repented and they're rejoicing. Do we rejoice or do we punish? Do we rejoice or do we look at that person like, you better shape up? We gotta be like God, man. We gotta be like the Lord and rejoice. I mean, people are gonna blow it. I'm telling you right now, people are gonna let you down. People are not gonna live up to the standards that we all are called to live up to. And that includes us, all of us. And we should treat each other the way we would want to be treated. We should love each other the way we want to be loved. We should seek to understand each other the way we want to be understood. And then when someone repents, man, we're like, hey, you know what? I'm so glad you're back. And I'm telling you, when I went back to my home church, Rod restored me a year at another church. I finally went back to my home church and the guy who was the most judgmental saw me walk in and the, the last guy I wanted to see, the last guy I wanted to see. And I'm walking into that church and I'm like, oh no. And he sees me like, whoa, like, like just sees me. And I'm like, oh man, he takes off his base. He jumps off the stage and he walks right up to me. And I'm already getting defensive. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm getting my shield up, like shield up, Ramondo. He hugs me and he goes, man, welcome back. We missed you so much. Do you know how restored I was just like that? That's how we should treat each other. He wasn't like, where you been? Where have you been? 
why haven't you been here? I'd have been like, leave me alone, dude, I'm out. But he, he restored me. And look what James says. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You guys, I want, I want to, if we want to be around a, a church of people that want to win people, the unsaved and the one who is wandering, the one who has wandered on the wide path. Do they mean to get there? I don't think so. Things just happen in life. We find ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. Or we find ourselves just kind of nudging and drifting away and we begin to wander and we wander on the wide path. But the goal of the church is to bring that person back to the narrow path. And we win them back. Win them back. Not guilt them back, not shame them back, not condemn them back. We win them back. And we love them. And we weep for them. That's the heart that God wants to have. And I, can you know who that person is? That's a mature believer. Because that person who's like that, who wins people, understands his own heart, understands his own frailties, understands his own shortcomings. It's not, it doesn't take much, you guys, to wander, does it? It does not take much to wander. I, I'm the best wanderer. I mean, I might be by Amanda's side at a mall, and then I'm in another store or something. I don't know. Uh, something caught, they'll caught my eye, you know, and she'll, she'll always find me, praise the Lord. Um, she put one of those leashes on me. No, just kidding, she didn't. <laughs> but the thing about it, we all wander, but our desire is to win them back to the narrow way. Now, let, so we handle the sin of the person, right? The unrepentant person, I want to emphasize that. The unrepentant person, we've learned, we've got to remove them for their own good, for their own good. That's how we do. We don't ignore it. We try to win them. We try to win them. And if they are unrepentant, then we say, hey, dude, it's better for you not to come because you're just heaping condemnation on yourself. Don't take the sacrament. You're heaping condemnation on yourself. So he's removed. That person is removed. But now notice what Paul does next. In verse six, he begins to deal with the church's sin. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump and look what he says next, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul, you guys, Paul here, he's dealing with the attitude of this church, this arrogance they have, this pride that they know more than God. And I want you to see how they got themselves into trouble. Remember what, what we saw last week? Paul said this to them, do not go beyond what is written. Remember that? He told them, don't go beyond what's written. But they had. They'd opened themselves up to this false teaching, to these erroneous ideas, to these cancerous ideas about the nature of God and the nature of man and the nature of sin. And they found themselves in a world of hurt because of it. They were puffed up. Remember what Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love was what? Edifies. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. But love puffs up, or knowledge puffs up. They thought they knew more than God. They thought they knew more than Paul. They knew a better way. They knew an easier way, and it was wrong. And it got them, they got themselves into a world of hurt. So Paul says what? Take out that old leaven. And the, the analogy here, the illustration here is just a little leaven, what? Leavens the whole lump. A little yeast destroys the whole thing. It just does just a little bit. Just one bad idea. 
One erroneous idea of God's grace, God's call, God's holiness, and man, you just go off the rails. Doesn't take much. I remember one time, we were, I was in Budapest, I was driving back from the airport, it's about 5.30 in the morning, dropped off my friend's fiance, and I'm in this little Toyota van, and there's ice on the road, right? And it's pretty salted, they had it pretty salted down, but I'm just cruising, and all of a sudden, I hit this little patch of ice, and I started to spin, I spent like five times and I'm seeing the cars go by me. I'm seeing, I'm like, and I'm holding on to the steering wheel and I'm, I'm watching the cars and their eyes are big and my eyes are big. And then boom, I'm back going straight. And I'm like, oh man, miracle. And my friend Eddie's like, man, that was a close one. Boom. And we hit another piece of ice and we spun out and rammed into the rail. I mean, just like that. Didn't take much, man. Did not take much. Just a little bit of ice. And I spun out. I'm telling you right now, just a little bit of sin in our lives and we will spin out. And here's the thing, I, I believe this with my whole heart. So often we have an easier time seeing sin in other people's lives and we forget the sin in our own lives. We do. We do. And we, we act like we have it all together and we really don't. So Paul's saying to these guys, look what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. In the Hebrew context here of the Paschal lamb, of the Sabbath, of the, of the Passover out of Egypt, leaven is what seen always as a corrupting agent. Just a little bit of leaven. It's corrupting. So leaven is always talked about as a bad influence, something that corrupts completely, something that should be pure. Leaven always corrupts something that should be pure. Sin always corrupts something that should be pure. That's us. We are called to holiness. We are called to purity. And just a little bit of sin corrupts everything. It twists us, makes us bitter, makes us judgmental, makes us hopeless, right? And we got to get it out. We cannot, Paul says it. He says, cleanse it out. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And look what he says, as you really already are. You already are unleavened. It's what he told Peter. Peter, let me wash your feet. Peter says, not me, Lord. And then he says, man, if you don't let me do this, you have no part of me. Peter says, okay, then wash all of me. It's like, Peter, chill out, man. Just your feet. You're already cleansed, Peter. I just need to clean your feet. Right? And he's like, okay. All right, but whatever you say, Lord. But again, a little leaven, you guys. So I want us to think about this. Is there still unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody? That's a little leaven. Do you hold something against somebody? That's a little leaven. Are you allowing division to come into your heart? An issue of pride, an issue of difference. That's a little leaven. And have you ever noticed that little thought towards somebody, how it erodes the relationship you have with that person? It begins to erode it, doesn't it? Get it out. Get it out. Don't play with it. Do not play with it because it's not going to play with you. It's going to seek to totally take you. It has a can. If we don't deal with the leaven in our own lives, it will have a cancerous effect upon our hearts. Cancerous. It will kill us. So Paul says, cleanse it out. Why? That you might be new again. That you might be new again. New in the Lord, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. So he's not talking to the man who's, who's living in sin. He's talking to the church that has tolerated it. It's tolerated by what? Oh, I'm so open, and oh, you know, it's so funny that when people use the word love, how right away you're defensive. 
You just don't love me. If you don't accept me, you don't love me. If you don't let me, you don't love me. It's like, no, man, I do love you. I'm willing to tell you the truth. But do it in love. Do it in humility. Do it with your heart on your chest, man. But we do it in love, but not compromising God's love because God loved us so much he nailed his son to a cross. Why? To deal with our sin, right? So we got it again. We don't play with it. We do not play with it. I want to be new. I want to be new. One thing I loved about Hungry, you guys, it's one thing I really miss, fresh bread. I would go to that bakery and I'd get a kilo of bread and it was still warm and it was soft like a sponge. Then you put some Nutella on it. You gain about 50 pounds, but it's worth it, right? It's just awesome. And I just, I remember just smelling the bread and, and it's just fresh. Because when that bread gets old, it's a weapon, right? <laughs> some of bricks in your house, you just get that old bread and just hug it at them, right? Take them out. But when it's fresh and new, Man, it's delicious. Nothing like it on the world. Nothing. I want my heart to be that way. I want my heart always to be soft and warm and caring towards others. Those that are doing good and those that are doing bad. I want to be caring towards that person. I want to be new. I don't want the old. I don't want the old way of thinking. I don't want the old way of acting. I don't want the old way of hearing. I want to be new. I want to be, and I want to deal with my sin, man. I want to deal with it. And I'm going to tell you something. Part of dealing with sin, it comes down to humility. And it comes down to transparency. And here's the, here's the thing. It's not between me and you. It's between you and God. It's between you and God that you got to be honest with. It's between you and God that you have to be transparent with. You don't hide. That's Adam and Eve's problem. They're always hiding. We come before the Lord and it's like, I did it. I blew it. And he, the moment we confess, Apostle John says, he forgives. Doesn't punish us, <laughs> you big dummy. He's like, yeah, I know. You're forgiven. Be free. Be free. Paul closes out in his last verses, and he talks about our relationship to the world. Look what he says. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. He says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. For greedy and swindlers and idolaters, since they would need to go out of the world, right? But I'm writing to you not to associate with anybody who bears the name brother. Notice that, brother. So if there's a brother in Christ who is an idolater and a swindler and he's greedy and he's sexually immoral, Paul says, don't have fellowship with them. Don't. But he says with the world, look what he says. He says, man, I'm not writing about the world. He goes on. He says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother. If he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater or reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Who? The guy who takes the name of Christ. That's who. Then he says this. For what do I do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge, God judges the outside. Who judges the outside? Who judges the outside? Do you? But do you? Why? I can't believe darkness is dark. Oh my gosh. It's so dark. I'm judging you because you're so dark. It's ridiculous. But we do. We feel good about it, don't we? Oh, I'm, I'm better than them. I'm righteous, and they're not. 
I know God and they don't. I know they don't. How sad they don't. And we judge them for it. And God says, I got a solution. I got a suggestion, actually. Do you know how they might know God? Is if you tell them. So quit judging them. Quit telling them what great sinners they are. And you go tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't judge the world. That's God's judge. God is the judge. And God told us this. There's wheat and tares. He goes, don't worry about those tares. I'll deal with it. You love one another. I'll deal with it. You love one another. But so often the church, we're always, oh, the world, oh, the world, oh, the world. And it's like, do you read your Bible? And if you do, do you believe it? Because I'm looking at you right now, brother, and it just seems like you just spend more time judging the world than you do judging your own sin. I can help you with that, right? I'll open my heart, you open yours. But again, it's just crazy how we do it. But what, what is he saying? We're to be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. We're going to be separate. We're going to be unique. We're going to be the, those who love God, who have faith in God, who are true to God, who have fellowship with God. That's us in the world, but not of the world. We don't isolate ourselves from it. We don't pull away and, and, and move away. If that was what God wanted us to do, Jesus never would have come. Jesus came into the world not to condemn it, but to do what? Save it. It's our job now. He's like, it's your turn. Go for it. Here's the baton. Go for it. Let's watch what happens. And this is the, the joy of what God's given us to do. The joy of it. So again, we're not to isolate, but we are to be separate. We cannot avoid contact with sinners but we don't want to be contaminated by their, by their worldly values, by their worldly pursuits, and by their worldly sins. We just don't want that. But we got to still be among them, man. I'm going to close out with this last part again. Go back with me to verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Verse 8, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, but with new celebrate. Did you see that word? Celebrate. Celebrate like what? Celebrate like the Israelites when they came out of Egypt and they went through the Red Sea. And they're singing and they're dancing and they're rejoicing at God's deliverance. Let us celebrate the festival. We of all people in the world have a right to be joyful because we know what Christ has done. We are called, again, you guys, I want you to see something. What is he saying? He's saying that what the, our Paschal Lamb, our Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed for us. We put the blood on the doorpost of our hearts, and now we are saved. Now we are delivered. Now we are free to walk with God again and rejoice in him and to know him and to make him known. This is our right and we should rejoice in it. And I'm telling you, every time we take the bread, every time we take the cup, we are practicing the day we're going to do with him in the kingdom. We just should be like, I just can't wait. I just can't wait. My sin has been paid for. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to Egypt. I'm going forward. So he says, put away all sin. Three things 
Alexander McLaren said, and I loved him, three things he said about enjoying the feast. The first one is this, the Christian life ought to be a continual festival. What does that mean? In the midst of our suffering, the Bible tells us to do what? What? Rejoice. Why? It's not because we're rejoicing because of the circumstances. We're rejoicing because God has a purpose in it. God has a meaning in it. And every time we suffer, we look to the cross and we don't suffer alone. Jesus is with us in the fire, just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we are to have this festival. And here's the thing about it. Some of us are Debbie Downer or Bobby the Bummer. If your name's Bobby or, you know, Debbie, not, I'm not talking about you. We had a Bob first service. I said, Bob, I'm not talking about you. But think about it. What does that mean? Oh, the cup's always half, half, half empty, right? Hey, I'm going on vacation to Cabo. Yeah, I heard there's going to be a hurricane, right? <laughs> hey, I went to this restaurant yesterday. I'm going to this restaurant. Yeah, they gave me food poisoning, right? Some of us are like that. It's like we just see defeat. We see every reason not to. But there's something about what Christ has done in us that should begin incrementally to make us be pessimistic, to be just a little bit optimistic. God is working. God has a plan. God's going to redeem the day. I'm telling you right now, if you're ever in a bummer out mood and you just need someone to pick you up, go hang out with Pastor Phil's. Man, we could go, I go play golf with Pastor Phil's and we could shoot 150 over. And he'll be like, that was the greatest round of golf ever, right? Man, the weather was good. Fellowship was awesome, man. That was so cool. I'm like, be quiet, you know? But he just is optimistic. He's like, God's going to do it. He brings God into the situation. And that's what we need to do. And it is our duty, if we say this, and if we believe the joy of the Lord is our strength, then it's your job as a believer to cultivate that joy. To cultivate it. And I'm telling you right now, if you are, do you have a habit in your life that cultivates discouragement and despair and anxiety and hopelessness? You need to stop it. Stop it. And we got to cultivate the joy that God wants to give us in Christ. He says, my joy is complete in you. Jesus says that. My peace I give to you. As he's going to the cross, he's saying this stuff. So it means it's not based on our circumstances. It's based on who he is. The next thing we have to do, the Christian life is a continual feeding on Jesus. McLaren said this, as we keep the feast, when our minds feed upon Christ by contemplation of what he is, what he has done, what he's doing, what he will do, what, when we take him as the master of light in our, of all seeing, and, and in him, in his words, in his works, in his passion, resurrection, ascension, his intercession for us on our, and before God on our behalf, him sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He is the perfect revelation of who God is. He is the perfect discovery of what man is. He the perfect disclosure of what sin is and the perfect prophecy of what man may become. He is the light of light. He is the answer to every question that our spirits can put before him. He is the loftiest virtues of God and man, the universe and the future. We feast on Jesus. We feed on Christ when, we, with lowly submission, we, we subject our thoughts to him. 
our purposes and our desires, we give them to his authority. And when we let him flow into us, or let his will flow into and make, um, make, make us uh, shape our will to his will. We nourish our wills by submitting them to Jesus. And we feed on him when, when not only we say, Lord, Lord, but when we do the things he says. We feed on Christ when we let his great, sacred, all-wise, all-giving, all-satisfying love flow into our restless hearts and make them still. Enter into our vagrant affections and fix them on himself. That's how we feed upon Christ. And the last thing is this, you guys. The Christian life is a continual purging out of the old leaven. But let us remember the absolute cleansing of all sin that we find in Christ. That we find in Christ. How do we do that? We let, as we come to the table, we examine ourselves. We say, Holy Spirit, work through my heart, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, then. You really want that, Armando? Yes, Lord. You need to apologize to your daughter. What? Well, we got a bad connection. I think I'm dropping you. I think I'm, I'm, not, I'm in a dead zone, Lord. I'm in a dead zone. Right? You need to reconcile with your parents. It's a deal. You need to repent of that, that habitual sin. And we got to give it to them. And here's the thing, too. A lot of us, we've been hurt. We've been wounded. And that wound has become a root of bitterness. We're bitter now. We've let this doubt enter in. We let, we let this doubt of people's character, we've let this idea that someone is doing something malicious and they're not. And we've allowed it to take root in our hearts. And Paul would say, or the writer of Hebrews would say, don't let any root of barrenness grow in you. God, take it out. It's going to hurt a little bit. It's worth it. It's worth it. But we examine ourselves. I want to, I want to be new. I want to love people. I'll be honest with you guys. I just want to love people. I know it sounds simple, right? But it's not. That's been my goal now for the last 15 years of my life, just to love people. I'm so exhausted. <laughs> so exhausted. But I'm not going to give up on it. I want to be a happy old man. I don't want to be a grumpy old man. But then most of the time I see myself, get off my lawn, you know? Don't play on my lawn. Get the hose out. Shh, get out of here. That cost me a lot of money having the hose on, you know? I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a happy old dude. I don't want my grandkids to be scared of me, you know? And I'm not aiming high, guys. I'm not aiming high, but I'm aiming at something. But again, we allow God to examine us. And we're going to let you guys do that right now as we tell you to communion. Let God examine your heart. And again, Why? that you might be free, free to love, free to serve, free to be who God's calling you to be. And I'm telling you, you know one thing Rod said this week, man, blew my mind. Again, I got choked up right when he said it. That usually doesn't happen to me. He sat there, and the theme of the, of the, the little retreat was brokenness. And he said this, on the other side of your brokenness is your best life. And I went, Phew. and I'm like, Lord. and I just had this, almost like this run through, like my memories of being broken. And I go, Lord, after every one, 
you made me a little bit bigger. You made me a little bit deeper. You made my marriage amazing. Didn't see that, Lord, but I can appreciate it now. And I, and I, I knew it was for Phil's. Phil's was going through a lot this last year. And I called him yesterday. I said, Phil, I got a word for you. Yeah, I got a word for you, man. So, okay, hold on. Let me get something to write it down with. And I said, bro, on the other side of your brokenness is your best life. He goes, tell me it again. And I tell him, he goes, bro, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. I said, it is, dude. He spoke to me. And I know I need to tell you. Brokenness hurts. It does. But what God does on the other side, I can't even, I can't even describe it to you. So let him examine you. Humble yourself. If Nathan comes to you right now and says, you're the man, repent. Say, Lord, I am the man, forgive me. And just like that, Nathan's going to say, your sins are taken care of. But don't say, no, it wasn't me, it was their fault. If they didn't do that, I wouldn't have done this. That, they gave me the stink eye. They gave me the stink eye, right? And I give it back. No. God says, you're the man. You're the woman. Say, I am Lord, forgive me. And he will because of that. Let's pray and get our hearts prepared for communion.